Hello and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, Don. And today Stevie is out sick, so we hope that Steve feels better. But we have a guest in the studio. Want to say hello, Mike? Hello, I'm Michael. <laughs> this is Gracia's son, Michael, that she talks about a lot uh, on the show, so we're really excited to have him. All good things, all good things. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> Just like we talk about Fall River all the time. <laughs> It's the drinking game. Oh, that's yeah. already going to begin. Yeah, somebody gave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which uh, was entertaining to us because it said that they play a drinking game um, for every time we say Fall River or Vermont or something like that. So we appreciate the review first um, and foremost, but actually we really liked the review too. It was highly entertaining. Uh, coincidentally, I played the same drinking game while we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, all right, Gracious, so do you want a quick talk about the drink of the week? Yes, since we are headed to Texas for this case, I did the uh, Texas Ranch Water from Southern Living. How I actually found it was uh, Valerie Bertinelli. Do you, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I know who that is. Yeah. yeah. She does a cooking thing on Facebook, so she puts all, all of her recipes and stuff. She shared this as her low-cal summer drink. <laughs> So that's how I found it, was through her. Um, it is basically just any kind of silver tequila, lots of lime, and you have to use Topo Chico mineral water. Is from what everything I read online was if you use a different kind of mineral water, it doesn't give the same flavor. Or maybe that's just a Texas thing. But um, we did add a little bit of grenadine today because I was going to bring raspberry syrup, make them like raspberry lime rickies, and it didn't come in. Thank you, Amazon. <laughs> well, I um, did not add grenadine to mine, and I really like it. Um, it's way. only 130 calories is what they say. But who else is a little nervous drinking uh, mineral water from Gracia? Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As I was ordering it, because it's from Mexico, so we don't really sell it around here, I was like, oh, no, mineral water. <laughs> Everyone's going to think it's a concoction. Yeah, everyone, yeah. What show was that lady in? Valerie Bertinelli? Yeah. Oh, wow, what was the show with her mom? You know, I think I may have had a crush on her. Oh, she's a beautiful girl. She was married to Eddie Van Halen before, right? Oh, too? yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a lot of self-abuse for that woman. Yeah. Was one day okay. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, one, it was one day at a time. <laughs> one day at a time. There it is. I couldn't remember. I used oh, to watch it as you. a kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, her website is actually pretty good because she does all locale stuff. So if you guys are ever interested, she puts out her daily recipes. And it's mostly stuff from her garden. So the limes were from her garden. She only had the two ingredients. So oh, yeah. check her out. All right. I certainly will. <laughs> okay. Also, uh, our other feature is Jill's uh, What the Fuck of the Week. But this week, Grace is going to cover it for us. So this week, I, if some of you know me, I work at a homeless shelter sometimes. Uh, a volunteer. I don't want to get paid, so... Um, I work the overnight shift, going around 5.30 p.m., get out at 6.30 a.m. And I do this during the week, you know, just after my job. And I was there on Tuesday, and this uh, guest comes in and has a conversation with me. And it just struck me that sometimes, uh, as people in our community, we just don't realize what other people are going through. And this woman, um, she's married with two children, and they are escaping her father. He has made their life a living hell. They've moved to multiple states to try to hide from this man. Um, and they're hiding here now in Massachusetts, so obviously I'm not going to say her name for other reasons anyways, but I would never say it now. Um, the thing that struck me about her conversation is she is a uh, server in our Worcester community, and she was saying how she was at work one day and everybody was complaining about their lives and how bad they were and how they could barely get through and 
why does God keep like cursing them type of thing? And she's thinking in her head the whole time, like, if you only knew what I'm going through on a day-to-day basis, uh, escaping my dad, hiding from him, uh, having no money, living in a homeless shelter, like, we just don't know who we're talking to because you just don't realize it. So just for me, just take a look around sometimes before you make some kind of statements because I'm sure it hurt her feelings a little bit that she didn't want to share her life because it's too much to share, you know? Well put. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, and with that, Dad, do you want to kick off the storytelling? Oh, sure. When did it all begin? Not just mass shooting, but mass shooting without media, right? A post-shooting media frenzy, right? Provoking the next and the next and the next. What incident lit the fuse? created the macabre fascination. What shooting in particular caused the formation of SWAT teams and re-weaponizing in police departments? Caused improvements in inter-police department communications, brought to the nation's consciousness a new madness based on the slaughter of innocence heretofore for almost unheard of. Well before the Walmart shooting in El Paso, which killed 23, before Stoneham Douglas High School killing 13, before Sutherland Springs Church shooting killing 27, before Las Vegas killing 61 and wounding 411, before the Orlando nightclub shooting killing 50 and wounding another 50, before the married couple in San Bernardino killed 16, before Rosebud, Oregon shooting killing 10, Washington Navy Yard shooting, killing 13. Sandy Hook Elementary School, killing 28, mostly young children. Aurora Movie Theater shooting, killing 12, wounding 70. Before Fort Hood, Texas shooting, killed 14 and wounded 33. Virginia Tech, how many want me to stop? (laughs) I could go on and on. The long and the short of this is, be aware there's no safety anywhere for any of us and our loved ones, including our children. Okay. But now I'm gonna stop my listing of the slaughters, all right? And hone in on where and when I believe, and the consensus is, that the nation's thirst for shootings and our macabre media-driven fascination began. The first mass shooting in modern U.S. history at a college or university took place in 1966 at the University of Texas at Austin. 15 people were killed, 31 unders, others, excuse me, injured. It was the first day of August of 1966. It was a bright, hot summer day on the Austin University of Wait Texas. It's today. It's the anniversary, Dad. Oh, you know what? I totally missed that. Yeah. I was like, i got to add this to my anniversaries. Wait a minute. Whoa. That's today. Yeah, today's August 1st. What an anniversary. So you just said 66? 1966. Okay. I do like an anniversary post when it's there. I just started it, so. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. Just be quiet. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm texting myself this date right now to post it later today. There is no sorry allowed. Yeah, that's what's Oh, no sorry, just... yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot too, yeah. yeah last I was week. surprised you didn't call the episode Sorry Not Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve's not here to tease, so. That's true. I don't want to tell him how triggered I am. Anyway. <laughs> The shooting was from the very top of a 370-foot Texas Tower clock tower. 
started at approximately 11.45 a.m. and at 1.24 p.m. it ended. Wow. So during the 90 minute or so rampage and siege, the former near genius, his IQ was 138, Texas University student, Eagle Scout, altar boy, Christian, devoted son and husband, Marine sharpshooter, gunned down almost 50 innocent people, and as I said, 15 of whom, including an eight-month-old fetus, would die from their wounds. He would also die from his. The madness didn't start from the tower, though. No, Charles Whitman, in the early morning hours of that terrible day, would murder his mother and then his wife in two different locations. They were the first of the innocents slaughtered that day. He murdered his mother first. He drove across to the penthouse apartment block in Guadalupe Street, we're still talking about Austin, where his mother lived in apartment 505. Margaret Whitman met her son in the lobby and they both went up to the fifth floor. As soon as they were in her apartment, Charles attacked his mother. It's unclear exactly what happened, but it is likely that he choked her into unconsciousness and stabbed her through the heart with a hunting knife. There was also massive trauma to the back of her head, but no autopsy was performed, and so it's not known whether she was shot in the back of the head or hit with a heavy object. However, no neighbors reported hearing a gunshot or anything like it. He carried his mother's body into the bedroom and laid it on the bed. Pulled up her bedclothes to make it appear as though she was sleeping. He then wrote a letter, which he left beside her body. It read, was that God thundering there? <laughs> what? Did, did he cover her face? Um, <clears throat> the letter read, I have just taken my mother's life. I'm very upset over having done it. However, I feel that if there is a heaven, she is definitely there now. And if there is no life after, I have relieved her of her suffering here on earth. The intense hatred I feel for my father is beyond description. My mother gave that man the 25 best years of her life, and because she finally took enough of his beatings, humiliation, and degradation, and tribulations that I am sure no one but she and he will ever know. He has chosen to treat her like a slut that you would bed down with, accept her favors, and then throw a pittance in return. I'm truly sorry that this is the only way I could see to relieve her sufferings, but I think it was best. There, there be no doubt in your mind, I love that woman with all my heart. If there exists a God, let him understand my actions and judge me accordingly. Charles J. Whitman. Wait, Dad. So, Dave asked one question about whether or not he covered her face. No. No. I actually have a picture of her in the bed. Oh, yeah. Covered her up to the chin. To the chin, but he didn't, yeah, because I've heard that, like, um, you know, that that it's an interesting thing that he did not do that, because Mm -hmm. generally if a killer really cares about somebody that they just Mm -hmm. murdered, they will tend to cover their face. They can't stand the blank stare of, you know, if you ever seen anything that's dead, the stare that get, like exists in their eyes really freaks people out. But especially if you strongly care about somebody, but then if you are the person who caused this death, 
there's a strong impulse to yeah. put a blanket over or something over the face so it can't be seen. So yeah. it's just that interesting sense. that he wrote that, but he doesn't cover her face. This guy was a prolific um, writer, which was good in a lot of ways because you can draw a profile from a lot of what he's saying. Oh, well, that's good, uh, I guess. Um, was, his, <laughs> was his dad dead? His dad was alive. His dad survived all this. Oh. Was his dad still living in of, the home? Yeah. Why, why not kill the dad, then? Dad I'm, doesn't live with Mom at this time. Dad was separated from Go Mama. find him. Yeah, I feel like... I, I, I can't answer that. It's a good yeah. question. Um, I don't know why not. Well, Dad was armed to the teeth, too. Mm. And this kid grew up in a house. You know how many guns his, his father had when he was growing up? Sixty. Six zero. That seems like excessive amount. Yeah. But, you know, it is Texas. Yes, so. it is. It's a different so, lifestyle. So for Texan, it was, you know, a little less than that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all got that right. My immediate read, though, based on that letter he left, is that this guy is so full of shit, his eyes are turning brown. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I was going with like he doesn't cover the face but he writes this. Like yeah. mm -hmm. he, it, it seems odd to me that he would not have, he would have just left her the way he left her and he would have had to have strongly observed her body in order to put it into a bed and stuff like yeah. that. This is this would be very hard if he really had remorse. You know, guy so. is a walking contradiction. You're going to see that yeah. as we go along. It sounds like post hoc justification. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine he wrote this. He just killed his mother. Stabbed her in the chest with a hunting knife. And then he blames his father, but he doesn't go after the father. It sounds yeah. like he's just like mm -hmm. weird. a coward, yeah. attacking an old lady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> an easier target, right? An easier target. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah, lot absolutely. of men, though, who are abused by their fathers, will have a weird response where they develop a lot of hatred towards women. Um, because they, they blame, expected mother to do something yeah. about it. Yeah. And so, and they don't often, with that situation, they don't often have that same animosity towards other men. They're almost submissive to other men, but they hate women. Hmm. Um, so that is a common thing. In fact, there's a former president that if you have a drinking game that we bring him up every <laughs> once in a while, you'll notice he really hates women, but he has a little bit of a different approach to men and if you read the um, book that was written I think it was by his niece um, oh, yeah. yeah I bought that I haven't um, read it yet but she um, she talks about how it was you know the father was abusive um, in a lot of ways not always physically but he was very uh, bizarre that put down artist yeah yeah wasn't that present that the guy wanted to grab him by the intellect <laughs> yeah, yeah they okay just, just, here we go <laughs> rabbit hole and oh, oh rabbit hole rabbit hole everybody raise hands hand. up hands up okay yeah because i do have to get through this all right so as an index of his father's character which i, I just shared with you all in psyche it should be noted that his father kept 60 guns at home when Charles was growing up, and this man did not spare the rod on anybody in his family. He beat them all. Thanks. Right? He was known for that. So it's now 12.30 a.m. It's night. also the 60s, right? Are we still, like, when he was a kid, yeah. you're in well, the 50s. Well, that would so. have been, like, he, it sounds like he's somewhere in my, well, he's a little older than me. So you know how much trouble I have figuring this out. Yeah, so he probably 50s. was growing up in the 50s, so a lot of people ruled with the fist well, back then. When was his date of birth? 
I, I don't know, son. Oh, okay. I can look it up, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Would he you... is all over the internet, by yeah. the way. Yeah, I'm sure. This it's, is in the small case. It's one of case. the problems I had putting this together. It was so much material. Was, yeah. So many movies and shows about it. It was just incredible. Because mm -hmm. it was noted as the first. Mm -hmm. It started this wave, right? Okay. So then he goes home. He lives on Jewel Street, not too far away. Then murdered his sleeping wife, Kathy, with a bayonet plunging it into her chest five times. Hmm. Now, guess what? He wrote another letter. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, I love that he loves how to write. Like, is he an English major? Is this his you know, his college education wasn't wasted. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to make money off the book later. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I do not quite understand what it is that compels me to type this letter. Perhaps it is to leave some vague reason for the actions I have recently performed. I don't really understand myself these days, my God. I am supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I cannot recall when it started. I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. He later goes on, after my death, I wish that an autopsy would be performed on me to see if there's any visible physical disorder. Keep that in mind. That'll come up later. I decided to kill my wife Kathy tonight after I picked her up from work at the telephone company. I love her dearly. Where have you heard that before? <laughs> and she has been as fine a wife to me as any man could ever hope to have. The prominent reason in my mind is that I truly do not consider this world worth living in and am prepared to die and I do not want to leave her to suffer alone in it. I intend to kill her as painlessly as possible. Very odd, because he's already done it. Yeah. After killing Kathy, he finished the typewritten note by hand. All right, I know it's, he says, I imagine it appears that I brutally killed both of my loved ones. I was only trying to do a quick, thorough job. If my life insurance policy is valid, please pay off my debts. Donate the rest anonymously to a mental health foundation. Maybe research can prevent further tragedies of this type. It is now 3 a.m. in the morning. How is that a tragedy if he's doing them a favor by killing them? That seems right. to be what he's saying. And clearly, like you said, he was in the Marines, right? Oh yeah. He would know it's how a to. Sniper. Yeah, he would know how to kill somebody very efficiently. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's using multiple stabbings actually kind of contradicts what he's saying. Yeah, say, isn't that the most painful? When you said bayonet, I was like, yeah. how is he being humane yeah. here? Well, I it's right to the heart. I don't know if he can get through the ribcage of the heart. Maybe I don't know. But could be why it was. Times. That could be why it was five, though. Yeah. Like it, one miss or one, you know. Yep. Botched hit is going to be awful. He's probably not going to botch five. Probably. Although he's got a ton of guns, so if you're actually looking to do it without pain, one bullet to the head, then yeah. you hit him. You know, all of this. Yeah. yeah, you guys are dead on. This, this is these contradictions with him. Yeah, and they go on and on. It's like and his justification. It feels very. Uh, you know, like sometimes when you read like the Unabomber things and stuff, all of these justifications that people use for these kind of things, I was like, what? Yeah. What did you smoke before you wrote that? Because that is just not the way life is, you know? Yep. Later that morning, not having quenched his bloodlust, Charles rented a hand truck, cashed $250, which is about $2,000 today, in bad checks, then drove to a hardware store 
and purchase a 30 caliber universal M1 carbine, two additional ammunition magazines, a semi-automatic shotgun, and eight more boxes of ammunition for the shotgun. He told the cashier that he was going to be hunting hogs. Yikes. That's a thing. Michael's going to go hunt the hogs. Oh. They're hard to kill. You do need something big like that. Wow. <laughs> what do you know? He's going. On, he's going on a trip with some friends. So this isn't gonna, like one of those guns don't kill hogs. People kill hogs. So we're gonna do it by hand. Oh no! We <laughs> need. Wanna... I, I will say this: you need a big round and a lot of them to kill pigs. They're way tougher than human beings. <laughs> yeah, they. You don't want them to catch you either, right? No. Like, yeah, they're they're very aggressive animals too. Well, Charles, <clears throat> dressed for the coming occasion. Supplied for a long siege and armed up, his Boy Scout Marine Corps training served him well. He dressed in a maintenance man's overalls, brought plenty of food and water along with a radio and other items to keep himself comfortable. He also brought a shotgun, now a sawed-off, high-powered rifle, handguns, and machete. He also took along coffee, vitamins, dextrodrine, excedrin, earplugs, jugs of water, matches, lighter fluid, rope, binoculars, Toilet Just paper, in case. A razor and a bottle of deodorant. You don't want to smell bad. Sounds like a murder kit to me, no. <laughs> how, how long was he planning to stay there? He, apparently, for some time. Wow. You remember, he's a student at this place. He knows this area and he knows this observation tower. Okay, he loaded his supplies and deadly items into a footlocker and drove it all over to the University of Texas parking lot. The Texas Tower is centrally located, as you're going to see, Jill, mm -hmm. on the Austin campus. It's 307 feet high with 27 floors. At the 27th floor, it's a short walk up steps. There's actually two small flights to the observation deck. A perfect sniper's lair. Upon parking, Whitman transported all his supplies to the main tower observation deck using the hand truck to transport his footlock. Interestingly enough, the elevator he initially tried to use didn't seem to be in operation. An employee named Vera Palmer activated it for him. And he said, thank you, ma'am, repeatedly saying, you don't know how happy this makes me. That poor woman. Yeah, and he's carrying all this stuff from his car to this tower. I'm sure parking ray isn't there. Like, people are just watching this guy walk across he, with, like... He, he did have a... He, he had faked the permit, is what he did. He knew there's oh. some... But I don't think he was even challenged from everything I've read. Uh, uh, but he, he was yeah. ready for that, if that occurred. Last thing, he would have killed the guy. He just shot him. Right. Um, so that's... It's 11.30 a.m. We'll go on and talk about the first victims that are in the tower. Right as he's getting into his little perch. He got off on the 27th floor, hauling the dolling and equipment up a flight of stairs, two flights to the hallway from which another flight led to the room skirted by an observation deck. There he encountered a receptionist. Her name was Edna Townsley. He split the back of her skull with the butt of his rifle, placed her behind a couch. Jesus. No, like no, that Charles. Charles. <laughs> Charles. Next step. Jesus does not have an AK-47 <laughs> or a Ro Rolex watch. <laughs> okay. Or a Rolex. Thanks, thanks for bringing that up. Okay. Uh, Charles stepped out onto the deck and distributed his weaponry all around this area, right? So he could fire at any vantage point. 
He also started to barricade the entrance to the observation deck. As Charles is doing this, an MJ Gabor, a service station owner from Texarkana, and his wife Mary are headed up the stairs, along with their two sons, 16-year-old Mark, 18-year-old Mike. Also with them is MJ's sister, Marguerite Lamport, and her husband, William. The six came across the makeshift barricade and began to push the desk out of the way. The two boys leaned through the door to see what was happening. Charles aimed the sawn-off shotgun and fired. Mark Gabor, age 16, and his aunt, Marguerite Lamport, age 35, were killed instantly. Charles fired at least three more times. Mike Gabor was hit in the neck and shoulder and toppled over the railing into other members of the family. He was partially disabled by the blast. His mother, Mary, had been hit, leaving her permanently disabled. MJ and William moved the wounded down the stairs and ran for help. So we've got the guy at the top of the tower. He's got himself barricaded in there, and nobody's going to remove his barricade as far as he's concerned. Now we can talk about victims on the ground. It's now 11.48 a.m. Charles looks over the observation deck wall. By a narrow few minutes, he missed the period between classes in which he would have had many more targets. Instead, instead, I'm sorry, Jay. I just said thank God for that. Yes. Instead, he settled for the stragglers. He methodically gunned down a total of 45 strang strangers, excuse me, killing 15. Carefully selected his targets, shooting only people, not moving cars or any other cars. He selected his most powerful weapon to begin an accurate weapon, the scope rifle, and starting at the South Mall, sighted down the scope to his victims. Let's sight in on some of the victims ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> victims whose stories were so poignant that they were often selected for emphasis in the numerous articles, books, movies that would later retell this tragedy. Claire Wilson, 18 years old, and Thomas Ekman, also 18, were an item and had been living together for some time. Claire was eight months pregnant. The two had just attended an SDS meeting at the Texas Union. Everybody here knows what SDS is, Students for Democratic Society. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that either. They left the session and began walking across the plaza in front of the tower. When Whitman shot Claire in her abdomen, killing her unborn baby. Jesus. She'd been discussing baby nutrition with Tom. It was 11.47 a.m. when Claire hit the ground. Ekman approached Claire and asked what was wrong. Ironically, his last words to her. Seconds later, Whitman shot him in the chest, killing him instantly. After being shot, Claire laid on the scorching pavement, rapidly losing blood with Ekman, the love of her life, dead beside her as the shooting continued. Austin police officer Billy Paul Speed was killed in the line of duty responding to shots fired from the UT Tower as he stood behind a Jefferson Davis Memorial. Alex Hernandez, 16, was shot while delivering newspapers. He survived. Thomas Carr, 24, was killed, shot in the spine while trying to rescue a wounded student. Robert Boyer, 33, a mathematician, was struck in the lower back and killed. Homer Kelly, 64, was shot in the leg while helping two students get into his shop. 
Paul Sontag, 18, was shot in the mouth when he stood up from cover. Roy Schmidt, 29, an electrician, was killed 500 yards from the tower as he tried to hide behind his car. Claudia Rutt, 18, was killed trying to rescue her boyfriend, Paul Sontag. You remember, he was shot in the mouth. Mm -hmm. There were just too many others killed and severely wounded that day. The police and ambulance EMTs responded very quickly that day. Police needed time trying to understand what the fuck was going on. And the ambulance drivers and EMTs had to work under fire. He was shooting at them as they were trying to load the wounded into the ambulances. The police soon discovered they couldn't match the range from, range from the tower sniper did. They weren't weaponized for that. There were a lot of heroes on the ground. A few minutes after the shooting started, a UT student, David Bayless Jr., arrived at the doors of Bats Hall and attempted to warn his fellow students about the sniper in the tower. Across the campus in the student union, another student, Jim Bryce, urged students to stay inside and out of harm's way. Funeral director, how ironic is that, Morris Hoffman was shot in the leg as he loaded shooting victims into his ambulance. UT student Turner Bratton helped move Mr. Hoffman to safety. Cliff Drummond and Bob Higley Jr. made several trips up and down the drag, helping move injured victims to safely. Safety, excuse me. Drummond, a senior pharmacy major, fashioned temporary bandages out of white lab coats from the university's pharmacy department. Some brave people there that day. Doing this under fire, just incredible. Vietnam veteran Brihan Ellison reported to newsman Neil Spleece that he'd helped nine people get to safety and carried one body out of the line of fire. Alfred McMallister, a freshman at UT, ran to help a man who'd been shot on Guadalupe Street. When McAllister reached the man, he was already dead. The sniper began firing again, and McAllister took cover behind a car, trapped by gunfire. Several UT students who were on the campus when the shooting started risked their lives to pull the wounded to safety. Jack Pennington and Jack Stevens were near the Hogg Auditorium when Irma Gracia and her boyfriend, Oscar Ravoya, were shot as they walked to a biology lecture. By the way, Hogg Auditorium, did you know there was once a governor of Texas named Hogg? It's true. And he had two daughters. I'm a... And you're a... Okay. That's a short break. <laughs> I thought this was going to be like a Dukes of Hazzard reference for like two minutes. I was like, are you a boss hog? What a boss hog. (laughs) 20-year-old art student. This is a lady I I just couldn't admire more. Uh, Rita Jones Star Pattern was nearby when the sniper shot at Claire Wilson. Remember, she was the pregnant lady. Mm -hmm. And her boyfriend, Tom Ekman. Ekman was killed, as we know. Wilson, who was eight months pregnant at the time, was injured and unable to move losing a lot of blood. Star Pattern laid down on the hot concrete next to Wilson, kept her talking and alert until help arrived. Imagine that. And she did it under fire. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Brave. Didn't even know her. They didn't know each other. Just, just incredible courage. Uh, freshman students John Love and John Fox moved Wilson to safely safety finally and likely saved her life. At Breckenridge Hospital, doctors delivered her son, but he had died in utero. Claire's injuries were extensive. 
on September the 16th, she was the last of Whiteman's victims still in the hospital, and in all, she spent three months there before being released. At this point on the ground, there was chaos. People were running around screaming, looking for safety, while under fire from above. You appreciate not everybody knew where this fire was coming from. Yeah. Right? More experienced people who had been in Vietnam would have figured it out pretty quick, but a lot of these people just where is this coming from? Well, yeah, because and you think about gunshots like they echo. So, and ricochet. You know, and There's ricochet not always a gun. And it's mm -hmm. not, you know. So, yeah, it could definitely be hard. Yeah, incredible. And it's hot as hell that day, too. It's really, really hot day. The <laughs> August 1st in Texas, I'm sure, right? Oh, man. Every day is hot in Texas. <laughs> the sharp cracks of gunfire from the tower rent the air. These sounds were soon joined from hunting guns civilians had brought to the scene as they returned fire from the ground. Now, civilians had better weapons than the police. That's the point here. <laughs> Hello, Texas. <laughs> Ironically, as I noted before, the police weapons were not long-range enough to cause Whitman any concern. Not so the civilian rifles. And the gouges they scored on the observation deck can still be seen to this day. Somehow, to this point, Whitman escaped harm, but his rate of wounding, this important point, if you like guns, and killing was severely hampered. So in the first 20 minutes, his rate of killing was pretty high. After the civilians on the ground started shooting back at him. Yeah, mm -hmm. went way down, yep. Way down. Oh. So just as a side, there was one of the police officers actually got a civilian airplane pilot to fly him up over the observation tower. You ever see the movie The Tower? It goes into uh, uh, quite a bit of detail on this. And what he tried to do was to shoot down mm -hmm. at him on the, yeah. and just, mm. there was too much turbulence. It just could not sight him and, and shoot him. Yeah, that sounds really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to try it. <laughs> Finally, <clears throat> two teams of officers and one civilian entered the main building and proceeded toward the top with the intent of killing the sniper. He was not going to be arrested. Mm -hmm. This is Texas. Yeah. This is not Welcome to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have that bumper sticker, no, no, no. don't mess with Texas. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in their defense, they probably feel like they have to stop him at all costs. They have look how many people. They do. Like, uh, I'm not necessarily what I blame them even here for doing that at this point. You know, like, he's killed so many. Yeah. Oh, the geez. only way to stop him sometimes is uh, with force. Yeah. He's absolutely. like a mad dog. Yeah. Right. I agree. I agree. So, William uh, Wilcox, he's an elevator mechanic, and Frank Holder, an engineer the University of Texas physical plant, helped guide AP offices Philip Connor, Houston McCoy, Howard Moe, George Shepard, and Milton Shuquist through the tunnels below the campus. The ability to move through the tunnels allowed the officers to get close to the sniper without running above ground and facing the risk of being shot, obviously. So that's one team. Now there were actually two teams of cops. The second team was formed as, as four other policemen ran to the building, met inside, and formed another team. This was the team that actually killed him. So, former Austin police officer Houston McCoy, who belatedly joined the second team, was only 26 the day the nation would deal with his first mass shooting on campus. Along with Officer Romero Martinez, 
McCoy was able to shoot and kill Whitman, stopping him from killing anybody else. Martinez was 29 at the time. He was off duty when he heard about the sniper on the TV news and called his department. Martinez was told to get to the campus to divert traffic. After seeing that job was covered, he decided the best way he could help was to get inside the tower, stop the sniper. Wow. To reach the tower, he had to zigzag across the UT campus, South Mall, with no cover. <laughs> they show this very well in the film's office. Unreal. Once inside the tower, he attempted to contact the police department to get further instructions, request an armored car for the wounded. Unable to make contact, he took to the elevator on the 26th floor where he found the other officers making up his team, W.A. Cowan, a civilian, Alan Crum, and Austin police officer, Jerry Day. The thing to understand here is Houston McCoy outranked them all. So once he joined them, he's now in charge of this. He sounds like he was so brave. I can't imagine zigzag running across, oh. you know, while being shot at on your day off. Yeah. <laughs> Dead bodies everywhere. Yeah. The like, last discussion he had with his wife before he left home that day, he was thinking of quitting the police department. Wow. Because he had been passed over for promotion he felt he richly deserved. Right. Um, because Martinez. Yes. Anyway. Given all that, yeah. Martinez Incredib in the 60s. Incredibly brave man. He ended up joining the Texas Rangers. Anyway, Martinez and Crum covered each other as they made their way up seven flights, several flights, excuse me, to the 27th floor. Martinez pushed open the observation deck door and stuck his head out to look for the cipher. Remember the last person tried that. Martinez had Crum, the civilian, cover the south walkway and then with bullets whizzing overhead, stuck his head around several more corners in search of the sniper. Before rounding the last corner, Martinez was joined by Officer Houston McCoy. He's a member of the team coming in through the tunnels. Martinez, hearing Crumb's shot at the west wall, fearing the sniper had turned his wrath on civilian Crumb, stepped out from behind his cover and shot the sniper with his service revolver, severely disabling him. After McCoy had fired, Martinez grabbed the shotgun and fired a final rain, uh, round excuse me, at the moving sniper. The terror was over. It was now 1.24 p.m. You remember that autopsy our killer hoped would be used on him? Well, he got his wish. We remember that Whitman wrote that he was upset over his parents' split and his father's abuse of his mother also complained of intense headaches and requested an autopsy be performed. The autopsy revealed a tumor the size of a pecan pushing on Whitman's brainstem. The United States with 5% of the world's population was home to nearly one third of the world's mass shooters from 1966 to 2012. Before that, mass gun murders were too rare to be considered a threat. According to the Violence Project, nearly all mass shooters have four things in common. Early childhood trauma, exposure to violence at a young age, an identifiable grievance or crisis point. They have studied the actions of past shooters and seek validation for their methods and motives, and they have the means to carry out an attack. The Violence Project has discovered a difference in profile regarding elementary and high school shooters, campus shooters and church shooters, 
movie theater shooters, nightclub shooters, and others. Of course, a profile takes into account race, age, economic background, gun exposure, mental stability, motivations, etc. So what, what, what this violence uh, project has is this huge database, all these mass shooters, right? with, with all kinds of data on them. And this, what they found when they didn't expect to find this is that there was a difference between where it happened. So a church shooter is not the same as a campus shooter. If you look at these factors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the motivation is probably way different. I mean. So frustrated by a reactionary policy conversation that never seems to convert into meaningful action, which I did want to have today. <laughs> Special <laughs> investigator and psychologist Joe Patterson and sociologist James Densley built the Violence Project, the first comprehensive database <laughs> of mass shooters. Their goal was to establish the root causes of mass shootings and figure out how to stop them by examining hundreds of data points in the life history of more than 170 mass shooters, from their childhood and adolescence to their mental health and motives. They also interviewed the likely perpetrators, perpetrators of mass shootings and people who knew them, shooting survivors, victims' families, first responders, and leading experts to gain a comprehensive first-hand understanding of the real stories behind them rather than the sensationalized media narratives that too often prevail. It's online. I suggest everybody have a look-see. So, I'll share it too on the group. So here it began, and here I'm done. Oh, wow, that was great. So wow. I just have a question, though. If This was the one that sort of started it all, you said, but there seems must have been like a big gap in between this one and the next one because I don't remember any shootings until Columbine. Well, there was definitely in the 1980s. The, the yeah. term going postal came oh, from right. a postal, postal. worker. Um, in the early to mid-90s, it was um, a man by the name of McDermott, and this was actually in our state. Oh. Um, and he... Um, Watertown, right? Somewhere yeah, like I believe so. He was uh, like a software tester, and he owed some back money to the IRS, and he went into his office and killed everyone, I believe, in the HR and accounting department, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's been a while since yeah, I... Yeah, I remember this case, because I actually thought of doing it for this one, but I didn't know if there'd be enough so to I, talk I about. So I was working in IT in Cambridge when that occurred, and they cleared our building. You know, we had software engineers, QA engineers, architects, and so forth, and they just cleared our building for a few minutes because of this. Well, so, yeah, I so mean, I, I just wonder, so even if there was one in the 80s or something, that's still almost 20 years. Yeah, I, Actually, I think there's more. I think there? of yeah, many in the 70s, but there probably were plenty, but we didn't cover them as much, right? Well, social so media is like, different, you know? Yeah. yeah. The closest one I've ever been to was when I was in Wisconsin. I could see the building out of my window. There was one. But they got the shooter within seven minutes of his first shot. Uh, That's how fast the cops reacted. I mean, it's more of a city there, too. But the cops were there in seven minutes and killed him. Wow. You raise a very good point about social media, because that's one of the factors, I mm -hmm. believe, yeah. came into play that accelerated it again. Right? Mm -hmm. So definitely, definitely. Sorry, I've got to yeah, keep forgetting not to move my head. On social media, you can find these like-minded people, and you can get like confirmation of your crazy batshit 
whatever you got going on. So, you know, it's like, you know, flat earth earth did not really exist much before people who were stupid enough to, you know, believe in that the earth is probably flat um, to find themselves on Facebook. Well, yeah. even like 10 years ago, though, I mean, at work and stuff, we were still doing like fire drills, right? But like two sure. weeks ago, I had to do an active shooter drill, oh, even though I'm a remote worker, 100%. But they had us do stuff like <laughs> count. Um, they had they showed one of the shootings and said they, um, they had you count how many times bullets were fired and stuff like that. So you'd have an idea of how to sit like the training was weird at best. But um, but yeah, and I work from home, so. You know, if there's a shooting here, it's... One of the things I did... <laughs> We're uh, in trouble. <laughs> one of the things I did for research, you go online and you look for the history of mass killings in the United States. There's a lot of data that shows you the dates and the victims yeah. and all this. Um, so, yes, while from 66 to the 80s, it was not as many. And what do they consider mass? What is the number? Five, I believe. Yeah. Five? Over four, yeah. Over uh, four. four, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so four injured is the thing. Oh, because it's still a shooting even if no one dies. That's true. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, there was one shooting, not on a campus. It was uh, in 1948, one man. That was the only other one I could find. Hmm. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't on a campus or something like that. It was just some ne'er-do-well lost it. Um, I love that word. this is the one, the consensus is that this is kind of the trigger. So it's three years after Kennedy's shot. That's still in everybody's mind, right? especially in Texas. I was in Texas. Especially in Texas. Shot. That was where he was killed. Um, yeah, Dallas. Um, that seems to have been... Uh, and there's another thing to think about, too, because you mentioned that incident. When you look at um, Columbine, for example, uh, the kids at Columbine had a real a fascination with um, the Oklahoma City bomber who was likewise very fascinated with both Ruby Ridge mm-hmm. and the um, Waco mm-hmm. uh, situations. And it seems like, you know, those major events really triggered a lot of, you know, a lot of these things because then you have people copying the kids at Columbine. Fortunately, they caught, there was a young lady uh, just two or three years ago tried to copycat Columbine by herself. Fortunately, she was caught before she got... <laughs> what, what a thing to copycat. Like, she wanted to go into the same high school. It's over in... To uh, Columbine High School? Yeah. And she thought and, that that was like... Oh my God. That they wouldn't she put any new measures Yeah. So <laughs> I, Hopefully somebody killed this woman. Oh they didn't kill her, but they did catch her, thank God. Um, this was a couple years ago, yeah. And she was just obsessed with Columbine. And well, how to, to, to prove your point before, like I can actually see why people get obsessed with Ruby Ridge, and those kind of stories are interesting to me. Like when I watched that special on it, it's mm-hmm. crazy yeah. what the FBI did, and they were wrong. Yeah. The, the FBI was absolutely wrong. Too. The FBI was absolutely wrong in Ruby Ridge, and but they never. Does that did make it. you want to kill anybody hearing those? No, but I can see where if I was on the verge, like yeah. even me, I get angry at that. I get angry at Waco that they weren't actually going to hurt anybody. Wait, I get angry at some of those. Do you cases. know where Timmy McVeigh was when that happened? No. He was there. At Ruby Ridge. No. Oh, Waco. at Waco. He was there. Ruby it Ridge was is like a family. Motivator. 
Ruby Ridge is a family living in the woods. Leave them alone. Yeah, yeah. they were. Yeah. Yeah, they fucked that up. That, they fucked that up seriously. And the You'll fact that the it. government never took ownership of that, I think, creates conspiracy. It creates these people. Absolutely. To not say we made a mistake as the ATF, as this, we should never have fired on them, and we did. Well, it, but Waco, not to go down too big of a rabbit hole. I mean, there was a special on Netflix on that that was really biased towards the people on oh, Waco. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, that, you can't lose sight of the fact that that guy really was harboring a lot of weapons and yeah. selling them. A whole and room. Raping children and, you know, doing a religious things. fanatic and, you know, that's crazy. But, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know who, I mean, there's a lot of shared responsibility there. There's shared in the, Waco. Exactly. The police yeah, forces there uh, acted irresponsibly. There's no question about it. There's still a question to this day about what started those fire. Yeah. They don't know. Right. But who put those people initially at risk was that... Dave Koresh. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Ruby Ridge is a different situation. There have been changes in procedure now with the FBI and, and uh, ATF because of those incidents. Yeah. Yeah, there have been. So, yeah, if they had just waited in town for the guy to go into town at some point, they could have grabbed him. And, could have, instead of killing everybody. The whole thing was... Uh, and, and Ruby Ridge, they just shot on them because they felt threatened. And, yeah. you know, that yeah. you killed a family living in the woods, not doing anybody any harm. Exactly. And then... That's law enforcement, though. Like, they're the number one cause of dead dogs in America is the cops are going to shoot it if they come to your yard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have another question about this guy in particular. The, um, leave my dog alone, Dad. Dad. I wouldn't shoot this dog, however. No. Dad, anyway, <laughs> you can move your iPad if you want. But also, oh, so yeah. you said that they discovered a brain tumor on the autopsy. Yes. And I happened to notice on Craig's uh, Mac, he was reading an article about do people with brain damage have, a, can they be held to the same level of accountability for crimes that they commit, which I think is an interesting question, right? It is. It is. So something's impacting his brain. And he did say it was like recently that he started having these crazy thoughts, right? And well, one of the contradictions with this guy is, yeah, you look, you know, he's got this brain tumor and he's got these problems, obviously, but look how well organized and how well planned. Well, he was a boy you know, scout. So he was, yeah, he's, his whole life he'd been training for that. I think it's a valid point about your mental capacity because the number one thing is in murder in the first is like, do you know what you're doing? That's definitely one of the things that brings you from homicide to murder. And are did you, you know? Were you aware? Yeah. Were you in control? Like so, the McNaughton rule is David. You can probably speak to this better than I can, but. The insanity rule used in a court of law. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's um, yeah. I mean, you have to be, you have to have. It's very hard to prove you're insane from a legal perspective mm -hmm. because you basically really have to prove either you you could not have possibly known what you were doing was wrong, um, or because you. I mean, it's not the same as like as everybody says. Well, if you're killing somebody, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. It being crazy versus being legally insane is two very, very different things. But to the point of, um, you know, brain injuries or brain um, tumors, and one of the things here is that we don't... It's hard because you don't know what area of the brain is being impacted. Like, if you have a tumor in a very localized place... It could affect your ability to process emotions, but 
then at the same time not impact your ability to actually plan something. You know, they're still arguing in Texas. They actually formed a committee after the fact right, yeah. to study yeah. this question. And they've gone both ways on this. Right. Well, I think, though, it is an interesting question because I don't it think is. we know enough about how the brain controls uh, you know, our thought processes and, and things like that. It's very difficult to study, right? What, what did he say in his letters? I know that what I've done True, but he, he does admit wrong. it. But that could just be like his religious background. You said he was Christian at the beginning, oh, yeah. so you can fundamentally know something is wrong and still do it. Yeah, but like, and you can. But then you won't be you won't be found crazy. Yeah, but you won't yeah. be found it crazy. Doesn't sound like he was intending to be caught. To be honest, he was going to kill himself at the end. I feel. If they didn't kill him, yeah, he would have done. He would have killed himself. One of the keys about these yeah. people is they do not want to live through it. Yeah. No, spree killing. Yeah. You usually kill everybody, and then you kill yourself. You're the yeah. last victim in a lot of these cases. Were you going to say something, Michael? Um, the I was going to say, like, maybe his medical condition could have led to, like, aggressive swings in his mood. Yeah. Wild violence, regret. Wild violence, regret. And you just, you know, ping, like from, one, you yeah. ping from one side of the dial to the other, and you never know. He yeah. obviously was raised by point. a father who obviously wasn't sane, but also probably had high vulnerability. When you think about people who collect guns or any types of weapons, you know, when you think about the five factors of personality, one of them is neuroticism, and one of those factors of neuroticism is how vulnerable are you? And when you have high vulnerability, you will typically trigger your fight or flight very easily. Yeah. So, um, you know, you also, if you, and it's kind of like, you know, it's, Thinking about humans is a recipe, not one single ingredient. If you took away the brain tumor, for example, in the case of um, Charles but, Whitman, he may very well have not done it. Right. Yeah. It may and, have been a different story. Right? But that doesn't necessarily always mean that he's not culpable or as I think with the abuse that he, he had, so. though, he definitely was going to do something. And then, yeah. I mean, everybody comes back from... Uh, the war a little different. I don't know that he actually went to war. I remember you said he was, he was a, a marine. Right? He was marine, a marine. Yeah. I don't know what he, he experienced, but that could have also been a factor. He qualified as a sniper. He was a, he was a very successful marine, but no, I do not believe he went to Nam or anything. Okay. Um, but you know they have a lot of uh, like I know my uh, husband's father. Sergeant Pyle, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Grandpa with the beard. He used to come out with the weirdest things because of his experiences, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah, and it's yeah, very real, and it's very up. serious. Very messed up when yeah. he came home yeah. from Vietnam. He was the only one to survive. My husband's dad oh, was the only God. one to survive his unit, and he bullet holes all over his back. I remember oh, yeah. when Michael saw him one time. Seven bullets, two grenades. Ugh. Crazy. Oh, he's a lucky man. And he survived 9-11. Yep. Wow. What? And he got out of the building. Wow. He saw the first plane hit and ran like a motherfucker. Smart. 60-something yeah. flights, right? And then wow. he got on the first ferry off the island because he knew it was going down. So before that second plane hit, what, he was what, already wait, wait, at wait, the wait, ferry wait, wait, termination. The homosexual was involved in this? No. Who? What did I say? What? Oh, what? He hopped on a ferry. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was like, what did I say that it could have been construed wrong? Am I, am I tongue twisting? <laughs> but he is, a, he is a good case for someone who was a little off. Yeah, I right. mean... Yeah. He, I mean, not to say that he would have done this. I'm not saying that, but I could see where things triggered him 
could yeah. trigger him into something more. Because if Absolutely. you didn't finish your meal, he freaked out on you. Like, freaked out on you. Oh, wow. Well, and the dominant force in this guy's household was a man who would, like, abuse a woman and child. So, yeah. Can't be instilling good values. No, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and the, I mean, the benefit to a trial is that people do get to hear. You know, the if he had lived and had a trial, people would have been able to hear, you know, what his background was. But one of the drawbacks of a trial of your own peers is that they may not have the really the background to really decipher, you know, does right. this person actually have insanity or not? And oftentimes it comes down to um, really in some court cases, it really came down to which... Um, experts were brought on the stand that were just more extroverted and more likable and more charming to the jury. Yeah, um, The Staircase and, on Netflix has, does an interesting piece on jury selection and yeah. and how also the expert witnesses impact. Would it change your minds if I told you this guy ate a lot of Twinkies? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, because his victims weren't gay. Like the Twinkie thing. The you know, the Twinkie them. defense. The, right. the Twinkie defense was well, giving a bunch of. Around here. Yeah, well, this no, the problem Francisco. was. The, the problem with the Twinkie defense was that what you had was a very bigoted jury, and they gave them an excuse to basically say it was okay to kill a vocal leader of the gay community. Right. True. Yeah. I mean, it really, nobody believed the whole Twinkie defense. It was just, you know, and, you know, but when you think about California, you have the stereotype like they don't have racist juries in California. Of course they do. Of course they Racism do. exists everywhere. Bigotry exists everywhere. Um, it's not just Texas that can be bigoted. Yeah, so can Massachusetts. And sometimes you're not aware. Uh, Massachusetts is very racist. Yeah. But sometimes you're not aware of your own bigotry also. Sure. Like your own, you know, Remember what busing showed us about Massachusetts people's, but you know, we were supposed to be all liberals and you know, not racist. But That's boy, bring busing into the mix. Yeah. And wow, this place well, exploded. Everybody. What is the saying you said, Michael? Not in my house, remember? You? Oh, NIMBY? Not N in my backyard? Not in my backyard. I I'm love... all for equality, just not, I don't want my neighbors to be black. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, so he was talking about something that happened in his neighborhood that he saw. Do you want to tell the story? Oh, yeah. So some lady was complaining that a halfway house propped up right next to her, and she was trying to, like, get it shut down. And I was, I was putting her on blast. I was basically like, "You're these people are trying to better their lives. They're out of rehab and in a, like a recovery period, and you're trying to make that harder. You're yeah. a bad person." <laughs> True. <laughs> you know. Yeah. She's not. She doesn't own a gun, does she? <laughs> <laughs> I live back here. It's New Hampshire. <laughs> I got my own. <laughs> oh, and also to, also to the point of Dave. We never really get to hear a lot about him because he killed the two people who actually cared about him, his mother and his wife. Yeah. Like, it would be great to hear their perspectives, but we can't because he killed those people. Like, to know a little bit more about him would have come from those two people in the news. Like, all, right? Well, all the data I looked at about mom and his wife was they were devoted to him. His wife was having issues it's with It's Texas. Him. Of course they are. Um, That's her job. I, I really believe his mother racist. really, really, really did love her. No, it's not racist to say if she's Christian and she's married, she she believes I'm devoted to my wife. In the 60s, I'm devoted to my husband. He is like, country. you know what I mean? I'm like, devoted to my husband right now. Right now. <laughs> and he's a no, Satanist. Like, but, if he, <laughs> but if Craig killed somebody that you, like, or did something wrong, you wouldn't back him like they used to. You know what I mean? Like, you'd be like, well. He is Canadian, so that yeah. is risky. I get it. <laughs> 
You know, you know what I mean. Backing them unhealthy. Yes. Backing them real. It's not what I'm against. It's and backing them when it's unhealthy. Right. Yeah. Like, well, mom, I believe for everything I read, mom really loved her son Charlie, and I also believe his wife, devoted to him, did a lot for him. They had just recently separated and then got back together again because of his mood swings, maybe. So, to Michael's point, but um, well, yeah, I, I, this was the one thing, Grace, that I couldn't, I, I couldn't get my head around this. And you raised it earlier. You said, why not get the dad? Yeah. Why, why get this? You know, your mom and your wife, your devoted wife. I have pictures of him and his wife. You could. Yeah. Well, it's almost like the cult thing where you like uh, want your family to be with you. So for I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I don't uh, want you to be left oh, on I this never planet. Never thought of that. <laughs> never want him to go. That's a good point. You know I what I mean? Like yeah, I know yeah. this world is horrible, and I'm gonna drink the Kool Aid because aliens are coming or whatever you believe uh, in these different cults. But yeah, you I bring your whole sense. family in there, and you say, "I want you to die with me. I don't want you to." Li-. Like he writes in one of the letters, "I don't want you to live in this horrible world." That seems You're like right. bullshit, though. Like, it is I bullshit. I mean, I don't believe in the cults anyways. I mean... Well, it may not have been bullshit well, but to not him. believe in him. That's what you're saying. Was, though. He talks about how it's a tragedy that these innocent people died, but he killed them for their own good. I think he was yeah. full of shit. I Greg needs to get a fucking mic. I do. Next week, I'll have a mic. But <laughs> I think that, seriously, he we just shouldn't stand the fact that these two people he loved and respected were going to see him as a murderer. And that's why he offed him first. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Very well yeah, that could yes. be. But I have a question. So you said, Dad, that he is like a real prolific writer, right? Mm-hmm. So did he leave like a letter about why he did the Texas sh- the tower shooting or talk about in any of his writings maybe like about his mom or his dad or his Oh, he did talk about mom, dad, their issues, his wife. You know what? He did, I don't believe I saw anything he wrote about the shootings themselves. It's interesting that he would write letters of, after killing his wife and his mom, but not after killing so many innocent people. Yeah, in the case he of died his, in the process, didn't he? He didn't have the chance to reflect. Yeah, but the, those he might have written yeah. letters ahead of time, though, because he had to have known he wasn't going to survive. He wrote the one about his wife. He started it before he killed her. Yeah, because he says, he kills mom, comes back, kills wife, and then finishes it. Yeah. First he typed it, and then he finished it in hand. You can actually see these letters online, just as he wrote them. So they were, they were, were they both typed? Half typed. Because I'd be interested in see how the handwriting changes, too. Because yeah. everybody's handwriting changes, especially if you keep stopping and then going back to something. Like, if you look at, like, a lot of your old homework assignments where you did them kind of piecemeal, but there were a lot of writing, you'll notice with most people the handwriting changes throughout the actual That's a writing. big discussion in the Jean Benet case. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's interesting. The handwriting for the letter. I guess I had an SVU once. <laughs> once you have a brain tumor, like, they, they use that as evidence of, like, when the brain tumor started. Mm-hmm. In, in SVU, so it's not accurate. <laughs> um, Based but like, on you reality. See the, the signature just like got progressively more, you know, deteriorated. Well, so that that wouldn't be what I was necessarily like. It would be kind of more of like, did he do this over a period of time? Did he write the letter? Okay. How long did it actually really take him? Was he actually? Um, planning this for a while. Cause do you mean like years or do you mean like days? Um, How no, do, do, what do, what, days, days or okay. things like uh, that. Probably yeah, months. Yeah. I, he did see, you know, I, I had so much to write. I had real trouble scoping this. Yeah. There was so much you could write. It was so rich. Um, 
he did see a psychiatrist, and he did tell the psychiatrist he had these thoughts of killing people. Really? He was, this was long before you were required to, to be say a reporter. Yeah. Oh, mandated uh, reporter, yeah. Yeah, That's that didn't exist in those days. And I think they were more Freudian back then at the time, right? So there was, uh, probably. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's more like your mom's fault no matter what. Yeah. Fucking mom. <laughs> I was thinking more they didn't take psychology seriously. That's like, true. You, they didn't really take it seriously until Especially like, in like 2010. <laughs> Even now, when you tell people that you go to a psychiatrist, people make excuses for it. And yeah. not that I. And I always used to think, like Kelly Rodenbaugh used to always say to me, every single person on this planet should have a psychiatrist. Like I think so. I think we all all I think you need should one. get a f when you you're supposed mm -hmm. to have a physical every year. I think you should also be having a mental health checkup every year. You know, because mm -hmm. shit happens and changes. And so and you want to remember the serial killers that gave counseling to people. Ted Bundy was a counselor. Yep, he was a counselor. One of the Hillside Stranglers had women coming to him for counseling. Well, I mean, that is what it is. I just think it's a good idea. And and I Ted Bundy was a rape counselor. We should, what like, the fuck? Normalize. You know, mental health. Yeah, we, we definitely should. There's nothing wrong with somebody saying, I need to go to mental health. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just the same thing as saying, I cough too much, so I should probably have my lungs x Exactly. Mm -hmm. But we all have stuff going wrong in our lives at different points. So a mental health person is somebody unbiased. Yeah. So that was yeah. the point of my friend Kelly. This is an unbiased person telling you, like, hey, it's okay to feel these feelings, or hey, let's work on why you have these feelings. Those things are both great for someone else to validate who's not related to you, yeah, you know? Talking to your best friend or to your husband or your wife or to your, your son or whoever you're going to talk to, I'm just looking around the room, and those people are going to give you their opinions based on their life stories. This person is based on yeah. years and years of study. They actually are somebody who could give you good right. advice. So anyway, but it just seemed to me like those letters that he wrote about his wife and mother were like justifying the crime. So that's why I was interested. Is did yeah. he do he something never, to kind he, of justify? He never directly talked about the people he was about to slaughter. Because it was just random, right? He just went up to the just went up there and, and you know, started shooting. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it's it, it's an interesting perspective you're raising. It's, yeah. It's a, well, why didn't he? Yeah. I, I don't. Because it, that seemed to be important to him. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I. How about other mass killers? What do they tend? To, is, are there other mass well, killers who write? Well, so if you looked at um, as far as spree killers, right? Um, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris from both Columbine. had from Columbine. Yeah, um, both had the um, web pages and kind of they weren't blogs back then. I forget what the term was. They were MySpace, and I'm just kidding, guys. But. <laughs> no, it was even before MySpace. This was yeah, um, it was in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, they had like it might have just been like their website web page where they just kind of put posts on, but they were kind of similar to what you would find if you Trench looked at somebody's tweets. Yeah. yeah, but they wrote and executed a play, right? You remember they the play? did that too, yeah, and they Showing filmed it themselves and, killing. Yeah, killing people, yeah. And Before they did it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's just interesting to me to understand why people do what they do. But And in those, in, in some of the spree killers, the only reason why I think it's slightly different is because I feel like it's more or less like they write their letters, they do their justification, or they don't. Whereas mm -hmm. this guy did it and half then and didn't half. do it. Yeah, yeah, like, it's such a mixed so bag. He's a, he's a contradiction. Yeah. yeah. Really well, was. even when we did the DC snipers, you kind of had, like, a little bit of, like, where did all of this come from for 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, you know, I mean, we guess we went over that, so go back and listen, guys, if you didn't listen to those. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Uh, but it's the same thing. And they Grisha had... will pay you if you... No, I just like when people listen and no, review no. us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, to Michael's point about the swinging back and forth, that mm-hmm. kind of gels with what you see with this guy. Mm-hmm. Is that, on the one hand, he's disorganized and nuts. On the other hand, he can be very rational and organized so it's, yeah, so I guess it's like whichever, all in the same head right? whichever mode or yeah. area of his brain is in control Left or right at brain moment, moment maybe his heart literally turns on and off with the switch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something fucked up but um but yeah when we go on our I wonder if the tower is open. they have tours it's six dollars a yeah. tour yeah because we'll uh, we have a college tour at UT Austin you know just you gotta get weeks. some pictures Jelly yeah yeah well I am so afraid of heights I'm not gonna go up there but Craig will it is high yeah it yeah, sounds like 307 flights I keep picturing there. a prison every time he was talking you know like I mean I used to work in a prison for my internship and we had a tower in the middle so the whole time you were talking I was picturing somebody shooting from that tower and that's the point of it in a prison yeah we're gonna take over those inmates if they go ruly like that is yeah. the point of it so they teach snipers get the high ground right and there's the prison I used to work at, there would be three of them up there. Oh, one on wow. each side. And oh, were they all aiming at you? No. I worked in special management, so I worked in the gang unit. So I would come in, go through population, and then into the special management Ooh. area. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was a cool job for six months. Yeah. I, it was my internship for college. But it was that's what I was picturing. The whole time you were talking, I was picturing that prison. And not because it's a jail, but just because it's the only tower that I can relate to that you can sniper right. from. Yeah, you know, even, like it's gonna sound yeah, dumb. Yeah, we, we probably shouldn't list off the snipe the places yeah, you good could sniper. Yeah. <laughs> There's only like a couple other towers I can think of being. Interestingly, the Tower of London, which is not at all like this, and there was a tower in Austria in one of the castles we went in. Which again didn't feel at all Defensive like what measure. they're yeah exactly what they're describing here. So. No. Have, have you guys seen how they rebuilt um, Sandy Hook? No. They renovated it and it's like battle ready. <laughs> Good. It's got it's it's completely remodeled where like um, there's areas where you can see everything but they can't see in so you don't know who's watching. Oh wow! Wow. The hallways have like weird jut outs in them. They look pretty natural but they're covered. Well, there was oh so God. many people game. that are convinced that Sandy Hook was faked, so they Fucking are. Fucking Alex Jones. These are the yeah. Trumpers. Yeah. No, they're the they're worse than QAnon. QAnon. Yeah. QAnon. QAnon. Those assholes. Yeah. But they they harass, threaten. And they've even had to remove the the sign on the highway that says when you're at the Sandy Hook exit yep. at times because they've threatened these people's lives, the parents' lives of people who've had their children what shot. What is wrong with people? And they are, they're yeah, sending them death threats. I, I, I worked with a person who she probably still believes that that was all faked because yeah. yeah. she heard it on right wing well, media so that I think is just the other maybe last point that I think is that there has to be some responsibility in our media mm-hmm. to cover these things better so and like for example Stephen King wrote a book which I felt was one, it was one of my absolute favorite books he wrote it under the pen name um, Richard Bachman so it's part of the Bachman collection but it is about a kid who goes into a classroom yep. and takes the class hostage and is going to kill them. Now, if spoiler alert, if you read through the whole book, that's not exactly what happens. He does kill some people, but not all of them. But other thing is, right after Columbine happened, Stephen King pulled that book. So you actually cannot get it 
any longer unless you already have it because he felt a responsibility to of course yeah to say hey you know i shouldn't be contributing to this but our media like fucking alex jones like i get free speech but that's fucking bullshit and look at what happened to those poor sandy hook parents they have to deal with their five-year-old fucking dying and now this asshole's on tv saying how they're making it up they took the him to court, which I thought was great. They took him to court on it. Yeah, those parents. His parents are still very visible. I get emails from them all the time. They're still doing a lot about gun violence, and uh, they're still out there. The so. media has accountability, you know. Okay. And like last week, we were talking about American Horror Story cult, which David recommended. So Craig and I started watching it. And that's a part of that story, is how the yeah. media is fear-mongering. Oh, yeah. They're creating this. Like, there has to be someone yeah. who holds them accountable for not being such well, fucking the, motherfuckers. The, the Whitman shooting, I, I probably didn't say it, but was the first campus shooting that went worldwide as far yeah. as the media. Yeah. Wor worldwide. Everybody was picking this mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Right? Of course, this was after... John F. Kennedy got killed. Sure. I mean, for years they've been saying the media is the problem. It's how many hour fucking news cycle. It's not just like even like small things like Princess Diana. Like there are areas where it keeps coming up. The media is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So th this is an argument for our getting together. To, to, rather oh, this than is a another crime, subject. Start arguing or start discussing. Start having dialogue about yeah. some of these issues. Yeah, this we're is another issue we could issues. put with the um, with yeah. the gun one. Yeah. The absolutely. media is a. Because obviously, I'm starting to get fired up. <laughs> no! Just no. Rant of the Week is coming right now! <laughs> Craig, it's a four-hour episode <laughs> now. <laughs> Let me close it with this. Right now. Okay, go ahead and close This is how I truly feel about these things. I have as much right to live and have my children live and my grandchildren live without fear as anybody has with the Second Amendment and their guns. Right. And they can stroke away. But there has to be some constraints and limits. Hmm? So let me leave it at that. All right, fine. Then I'll leave it at the okay. angry at the media. All right, so wait a minute, though, before we go. Next week is, is me, Patricia. Patricia Olson. She is a woman who convinced her son to kill her husband for her. Nice. So a different kind of mother-son relationship. Yeah. Next yeah. Week. She is very manipulative. So. And Craig's got, oh, he's got a good one, huh? Craig's got the a great Boston. one. The Boston oh, yeah. Marathon yeah, Bomber. Yeah, the Boston Bomber, which Gracia and I will probably have to call. Oh, you're going to do the attack on the Capitol? Yep. yep. Unless we move it during the week. Yeah, Dave's going to do the insurrection. I may change mine, so I'm not going to talk yeah. too much about it. Yeah, yeah it's easy. Just yet. Yeah. Mother wants me to do Gypsy Rose. Yeah, you've mentioned before. Um, so, but I'm weeks away from, uh, we'll see how I feel, but anyway. Thank you for helping me through that. Well, thank you, Michael, for joining us. Yes, thanks, thanks, Michael, Mike. for being a visitor on our show. Hope you had fun. Come yeah. by any time. <laughs> Just remember. Snowflakes not welcome. Snowflakes are looking at you. <laughs> yeah, last week I He's got He's a snowflake in the snowflake. corner. Yeah. This oh. is Steve a rough called crew. it a snowflake, and then Steve was like, next week it's your story. It's going to be like fucking winter in there. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was sick. <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. You can also send us an email to cocktailsmocktailsandcrime at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or Twitter at CMCrime1. See you all next week.